0: We're very thankful for them. (laughs) All right. Just a few things I want us to learn and to gather from John 11, if you're there or want to turn there. John 11 is the grand finale of Jesus signs that he does throughout the book of John. It's like each sign just gets bigger and more intense, more interesting. It continues over and over these signs, these miracles to prove the divinity of Jesus. And then when it gets to John 11, John writes of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And this is sort of like this ultimate sign. If you don't believe after this, it is a willful disbelief, is in essence how John is writing out the book because after this is indeed the death and resurrection of Jesus himself. If you don't believe here at John 11, you will crucify him in John 18, 19, 20, towards the end of the book. You are willfully in disbelief because who else can raise the dead besides God. And so we've spent several weeks in John 11. Next week we will look at the actual miracle of Jesus actually raising Lazarus from the dead. But John, he doesn't just skip to the end. He doesn't just skip to the end and tell us everything's fine and everything's good and Lazarus came out of the tomb, and Lazarus came back. Though he does tell us that, he tells us the whole story leading up to that. Particularly, John tells us of Jesus' interactions with Martha and with Mary, the sisters of Lazarus. Last week, we looked at how Jesus related to Martha as she is grappling and dealing with the death of her brother, Lazarus. And she runs out to meet him, and she's got all these questions, and he is present with her, and he processes with her answering those questions. And through that sermon and through that text, we learned how Jesus related to Martha as she related to death. And by extension, we learned how Jesus relates to us as we relate to death. And I'm glad we learned that because it's something we will all have to relate to. This week, as Nate read for us, we look at how Jesus related to Mary as she relates to to death. And by extension, we look at how Jesus himself relates to death. How does Jesus relate to death? What does his relation to death look like? Well, we see it summed up in the shortest verse of the Bible, John eleven thirty-five, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Now, why is Jesus weeping? Is he not strong enough to handle the bad news of Lazarus' death? Is he weak? Does he not know that Lazarus' death will not last very long? It's been four days, but by the end of the day, Lazarus will rise from the grave. Does he not know this? Of course he does. Of course he's strong enough to handle the news. Nobody's stronger than Jesus. He knows all things, and he knows that Lazarus will indeed rise from the grave. He said so himself in verse 23 when he was talking to Martha. We read about this last week. He said, your brother will rise from death. Then why does Jesus weep? This shows us how Jesus relates to death, another devastation. He relates to it with... Emotional health. Jesus, the God-man, the perfect man, was perfectly, always, constantly, totally, emotionally healthy. Jesus is showing those in his midst in that moment, he is showing us forever an appropriate response to death and devastation. Being emotional. Showing emotion. He is showing those of us for thousands of years, disciples who are following him, generation after generation, that Jesus, he was an emotionally healthy person, and as his disciples, we should strive to be too. So a good question for us as we read the shortest verse in the Bible is, are you emotionally healthy? Are you emotionally healthy? This morning, we say, Well, what is emotional health? Here's a few things it is, at least. One is it is responding to our emotions that come up, it is responding to emotional events that come up to a reasonable degree. Emotional health is acknowledging our emotions before Jesus, but not overreacting to them. You see, as Christians, we acknowledge all of our emotions before the Lord, but because we worship him and not ourselves, we don't overreact to all of our emotions and obey all of our emotions. Right? So someone cuts you off in traffic, which is not theory because you live in Greenville. It is standard practice, right? Greenville has yet to learn about the yellow light. That means to start to slow down. They think it means speed up right double your speed risk the life of Mitch and his children anyway I, I live off of white horse road so got a little ptsd from that seeing all the wrecks but here's the idea is that someone cuts you off in traffic it makes you mad yes you acknowledge your anger there's nothing holy about like saying you're not i'm not angry that's fine it's fine no big deal we acknowledge our emotions, but we don't obey all of our emotions if we're emotionally healthy. Though we're angry, you know, we don't speed up, you know, drive beside the guy, curse the day he was born, rail him off the road, right? We, we don't overreact to our emotions. Emotional health is acknowledging our emotions before Jesus and emotional events, but not underreacting to them, So let's say this week, your boss calls you into the office. Sales have been down. We have to cut staff short. You're one of the positions we've decided to cut. We're going to have to let you go. We're going to have to lay you off. And in your pride, you don't want to see or seem like you're having a difficult moment. You don't want people to see you as someone who has some vulnerability. You don't want to be seen as weak as you exit the office. And so... In your pride, you act like it's no big deal. Great, I was hoping for a vacation anyway. I didn't really like working here anyway, which is probably true, but you didn't really want to get laid off. And so you downplay it. You, you, you underreact to it as if it's nothing. It's no big deal. When in truth, unemployment can be a very difficult time and a very big deal and very jarring and very disorienting. But you act like it's not. In your pride, you underreact to an emotional event, to the emotions that are rising up within you because you're not healthy enough to acknowledge them and let them be. Where are you at this morning? Where are you at in life? Do you tend to overreact or underreact when it comes to emotions and emotional events? If you don't know, ask your spouse. They for sure know. They could write you a book on your emotional health. Ask your kids, ask your friends. How are you doing with emotional health? Additionally, emotional health is responding not just to our own emotions, but the emotions of others to a reasonable degree. So emotional health is not doubling people's emotions, yet not downplaying people's emotions, okay? So we don't want to be the type of people who can't handle emotions, so we double the emotions of others in some way, some form, some fashion. They come to us scared, we get even more scared than they are. This is never pleasant. I remember one time as a youth pastor, had some kid in the youth group get hurt during one of the games, and I was kind of nervous about it. I was young, didn't know what to do. It was on my watch. It was kind of You know, my responsibility to keep everybody safe, kids getting hurt, real hurt, you know, like call the parents hurt, go to the doctor hurt, that type of thing. And I went to this other staff member, and I'm like, man, that's really scary. You know, this happened under my watch. I don't really know that kid. I don't really know his parents. Do you think they're going to be mad? Do you think they're going to sue me? And the other staff member goes, I don't know, maybe. (laughs) And walks away, doubling my emotions, right? Like, whoa, thanks, bro, for the vote of confidence. He's like, I don't know how these things work. Probably it could be, you know. I don't know if they got insurance. Do you have insurance? Does the church have insurance? Whatever. You know. Doubling emotions. Then you also got the downplaying of emotions. I remember another time a pastor was preaching. I had some friends that were there. And he's like this kind of big event, famousy guy, and he's preaching. And then my friends went up to him after the service talking about one of the friends in the group had several deaths in the family recently friends as well like three or four right in a row and he's hurting and he's reeling and he's telling this pastor about all of his turmoil and the pastor essentially said yeah man things happen but you'll be all right you'll be all right and he sort of downplayed it and that was like a very hard moment for that friend of mine that was a very odd response to him That this pastor just did, to him it rang like you just don't have the, the, the time or the energy to hear woes from the sheep you just said you wanted to shepherd. And he downplayed it. What about you? Do you tend to double the emotions of people around you? Do you tend to downplay the emotions of people around you? Again, feel free to ask. This is something you want to know. This is something you want to find out because emotional health is incredibly important. You say, why is emotional health so important? It is because you're like half an emotional being, right? There is disagreement amongst theologians. Um, Some believe we are a dichotomy, so that's body and soul, and that the Bible, when it talks about soul, spirit, heart, mind, all of that's just kind of like creatively one thing, The immaterial side of us. Others would say that we are a trichotomy, so we're body, soul, spirit, and like heart and mind have to do with the spirit, so we're really three parts. Some go further than that. However you slice it, right? We are not just material. There is a huge part of us that is immaterial. Our thoughts, our will, our feelings, desires, our emotions, it is a massive part of being a creature. Created by God, it's it's, it's a big part of being a human being. It's like half of who we are. This is why someone could be physically strong, right? So they're working out, they're pumping iron, they're drinking those disgusting shakes, and yet they get out of the gym, they're heading to their car, and someone criticizes them, and it ruins the rest of their day. It's like physically healthy, but there's a whole side of them that isn't emotionally healthy, that isn't healthy. This is why you can eat right. You could eat, you know, vegetarian, vegan, but be on the verge of addiction to some chemical drugs, alcohol abuse, even suicidal ideation and suicidal attempts. Say, man, they ate really healthy, but they're also trying to take their own life. What's the deal with that? Well, they're taking good care of the physical side of themselves, but there is a whole other side to us that can be very unhealthy. We got to take care of the whole being. God cares about the whole being. God created the whole being in his image for his glory, for our good. Emotions are just this massive part of us. We are not just what we see. There's a whole bunch of us that we cannot see. Additionally, all of our identity in Christ and all of our obedience to Christ is a matter typically of emotional health. Our identity in Christ is amazing. This is what we constantly are telling you to focus in on and focus on with one another in groups, Right? your identity in Christ, you are a son or a daughter of God. The Father, because of Christ and his work on the cross in your place for your sins, because of his resurrection, the sending of the Spirit, your identity is not one of stranger, alien, sojourner. Your identity is son or daughter to the Father. And you connect with that identity to some degree based on how you feel about the word Father some people are so emotionally healthy and unforgiving or just abused and used by their fathers that when we tell them god is their father it's almost not even good news they have to work through so much when it comes to that word father to get to the goodness of the identity of being a son or daughter of god the father a lot of our emotional health plays into how we see the identity Jesus has given us through his cross. Jesus has said, we're forgiven. You are forgiven. And yet, there's many of us who don't enjoy forgiveness because we lack emotional health and are stuck in guilt and in shame that Jesus died for, to take away. Even that statement, Jesus died for us. If we're not emotionally healthy, that just... Rolls right off the tongue, one ear out the other. Because we don't stop and think of that word death in an emotionally healthy way like we will see today in this text. It is devastating. It is, it is painful. Jesus died for you. That's, to know and understand that has something to do with your emotional health towards the idea of death, that it is indeed a big, big issue and a big, big difficulty and very painful. And he went through that for you. Your emotional health determines what cost you assign to even the basic fact of the gospel that Jesus died for your sins. It's very important that we're emotionally healthy people. Our identity in Christ plays into it and plays out of it. Our obedience to Christ does as well. So we want to be people who become like Jesus, follow Jesus to emotional health. So how do we do it? How do we become emotionally healthy? Well, Jesus gives us some insights just by how he acts in a very emotional situation here in John 11 before The end where he makes everything better and raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus shows us, just by following Jesus, we see emotional health. And I would say one big point we learn is that we learn, like Jesus, to expect some emotion. (laughs) To expect emotions in life. To expect emotional events. This is what's going on in the text. Jesus has come after four days, to the house of uh, Mary and Martha, okay, he's waited some time so that the miracle could take place, the raising of the dead, but he has come to them to speak with them. Martha has come out, they've talked, he's answered her questions, he's processed with her, and now it's time to talk with Mary, who had been staying in the house because many of the Jews from Jerusalem came out to where she lives in Bethany and they were giving her their condolences. So Mary didn't run out to see Jesus. She just stayed in the house kind of soaking in the difficulties, the feelings, the pain that she was in, hearing the condolences of family friends. And so Jesus then says, now it's time that we talk. And so verse 28, we pick up the story and here's what we see. When she, that's Martha, had said these things, she went away and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher, that's Jesus, has come, and he's calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into town, Bethany, he's outside of Bethany, but he was where the place where, uh, he was at the place where Martha had met him. Then the Jews who were with Mary in the house, comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, they followed her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. They don't realize she's going to meet Jesus, who these people don't quite believe in, but have heard a lot of good things about. Verse 32, then when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and she fell down at his feet. She fell down at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is an emotional episode. You have to picture a woman falling down on her knees, tears flowing down her cheeks, asking questions in a quivering voice. It's an emotional episode. But here's a interesting question for us just to consider do you think any of these emotions this emotional event takes jesus by surprise no i believe he expected all of this he knew Mary and Martha and Lazarus from growing up together. They were best friends. They were what we would call a friend group. Several times the scriptures tell us that he loved them. He had a deep relationship with them. He knew them. We know this also from Luke 10, where we see that he has this special relationship with them, peering into their very personalities, where Martha is all type A, and she's trying to get dinner on the table, and she's complaining that Mary won't help he knows that Mary is type B. She's full of contemplation, sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from him because he's come to their house. He knows the intricacies of their, their um, makeups, so he is not surprised. Mary sat at his feet, thus he is not shocked when Mary comes to fall at his feet. Jesus is not surprised by her emotion. Jesus is not surprised by our emotion. When things get heavy, Jesus expects you to fall at his feet. Jesus is not surprised by her concern or question. If you were here, my brother would not have died. You, know, you notice that this is actually the same question Martha asks in verse 21 where she says, if you were here, my brother would not have died. Jesus sees all of this coming. And one way we can follow Jesus to emotional health is by expecting our emotions to pop up, expecting the emotions of others to pop up. We already talked about how we are emotional beings, right? But something else we can realize, that we should realize, I think, is that life... Is an emotional event. Really, life is like an emotional roller coaster with a lot of ups, a lot of downs, a lot of twists, a lot of turns. Almost all of the events in life are emotional events. And yet, we somehow are constantly surprised by our emotions and the emotions of others. It's fascinating, but if you step back, you look at it. All these events are emotional events. Last week, my daughter, Maren, turned nine years old. It's a birthday, right? You knew it was coming. October 25th comes around every single year. She has a birthday every time. And yet, there's this emotional event to it, this emotional component to it, that's really easy to forget, right? You wake up, and it's not just a birthday. You start to realize that your daughter, who in your mind is a baby, is now halfway to 18. How many of you know that is an emotional event? You're like, what, she's halfway to what? Not in my house she's not. Stop, stop growing, stop. You are are a child, you are little, you are innocent, you are four, that's what you are. You are four forever. All of these events are emotional events singleness is an emotional event marriage is an emotional event projects at work can go well not so well co-workers can be great to work with or stab you in the back funerals are emotional events life is packed with them and yet we tend to be caught off guard by emotions and emotional events and thus we tend in our surprise to react in really unhealthy ways. Because we're constantly surprised. And emotions are already hard to deal with. But surprise makes them harder to deal with. Right? Think of it when it comes to death, right? If someone's been sick for years, it's hard to deal with their death. But it's not as hard as if someone is hit by one of those crazy Greenville drivers on White Horse Road out of nowhere and they die suddenly. That surprise aspect makes it even harder to deal with their death. On a more daily scale, think of marriage. Right? So you say you're coming home at 5:30, but you stay late, the meeting goes late, there's traffic because of some wreck on White Horse. This is just all hypothetical. And really, you're going to get home at 6, but let's just say say your wife likes it when you text her if you're going to be late. So she knows, because she's trying to keep dinner warm for you. And it it totally slips your mind. You're listening to a podcast, let's say. And let's just say you don't text her and you're driving home and you really show up at 6 instead of 5.30. And so let's just say... She's quiet and kind of short with you. And you're like, why? I'm amazing. I just had 200 meetings, right? (laughs) Have you seen my schedule? And let's just say that that's really not a big deal to her. And she wishes you would have told her and texted her. And so now you figure out, oh, it's because I was late and I didn't tell her I was going to be late. And so now you feel guilty about making her upset and feel disrespected, but now because you're surprised by it somehow, now you feel rushed to fix it and to make her realize how amazing you are again. And when you do that, in that rush, you make it worse and worse and worse. And this is where you can have a fight, you could have a blow up. Travis, be taking notes, okay? (laughs) The surprise element makes them harder to deal with. But yet, we shouldn't be so surprised. We are because we're in Western culture where everything just is run by the scientific method. But believe it or not, there's a lot more than what meets the eye to life. It is an emotional event and people are constantly failing in emotional health because they keep forgetting this race we call life has some hurdles in fact i'll show you a slide all right just to get this in your brain and in your mind hey you see this lady this is her at a race i can't remember which race some olympic race some amazing race i don't know she's doing something very hard jumping hurdles okay i i cannot do this you cannot do this i love you but i'll tell you the truth even if it's gonna Cause some difficult emotions for you. This is not you. Okay. Now, she sees these hurdles coming. She jumps them. She makes it kind of look easy. But this right here, this is hard. Okay. Now, in this same race, there were hurdles she didn't see coming. And this is much harder, right? This is what it looks like when you don't see the emotional hurdle. This is what it looks like when you don't see the barrier. And... You crash right into it. How many of you, this is your emotional health sometimes, right? The idea is this, is that this race of life, is, this is always going to be happening. There is no day where you get past negative emotions, difficult situations, trials and temptation. It's not going to happen. So you have got, like Jesus, to walk into situations and at least try to anticipate What might be coming? Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 9. He said, do you not know that those who run in a race, uh, that all run in the race, but only one receives the prize? Then he says, run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize, it says, is temperate, which is an old school way of saying they are self-controlled in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. We're doing this for Jesus, an imperishable crown. We're doing this for eternity. He says then, therefore, I do not run aimlessly. It's a fascinating statement. I don't run aimlessly. What he's talking about is life. He's talking about expecting difficulties and problems and emotional hurdles being somewhat ready for them, though you're not omniscient, But at least anticipating that life is an emotional event and aiming for self-control. That's who wins the race. So for some of you, you need to just do something as painfully practical as look at the calendar and think through some of the emotions that may come up for you, may come up for others. Right? We're coming up on Thanksgiving. That'll be great. But how are you going to feel when that one relative refuses to show up? You know, you can prepare for some of those difficult emotions ahead of time. Christmas is coming up. It's going to be great. But how are you going to feel when that one relative does show up, right? Sometimes that's the problem. Which uncle was at the door? Oh, no. And guess what? You can anticipate and expect emotional events to some degree in life you know that at some point there will be anniversaries and graduations and people will move. And, and how is that going to affect you? If you will spend some time in solitude and in prayer and in reflection and in Sabbath, if you will, also known as follow Jesus, you can start to consider how you and how others will feel. At events coming up, you can expect some emotions and greatly enhance your ability to jump the hurdles with grace. We must learn to expect emotion rather than be surprised by them. we got to learn then when they do come up to accept emotions rather than avoid them. we got to learn to accept emotions. Look at verse 33. Therefore... When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit, and he was troubled, right? These are difficult emotional events. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Two words I want you to notice besides Jesus wept. In verses 33 through 35 are saw and see. Jesus saw her weeping. He saw them weeping. Jesus said, where's the body? They said, come and see. In verse 33, it says this whole time he's dealing with incredibly difficult sorrow, negative emotion, and yet he doesn't shy away from the situation at hand. Though he's groaning in his spirit though he's greatly troubled he is speaking into the situation at hand he is looking right at it down to looking at the very tomb where his friend lay what do we have here we have jesus accepting emotions and emotional events over avoiding them when our emotions or the emotions of others come up we got two options Accept or avoid. Acceptance is much easier in the moment. uh, Sorry, avoidance rather. Avoidance is much easier in the moment. Acceptance is much harder in the moment. Avoidance, however, is unhealthy, and acceptance leads us to emotional health. Since avoidance is easier, we tend to lean there. Earlier, I asked you, do you tend to underreact or overreact to emotions and emotional events? Here's what I would say that my experience has been for most of the Christians I've interacted with through the years is that I would say we tend to underreact. That's my experience. It may not be yours. It's mine. Underreact. Downplay. Emotions. Act like we don't have them. I think there's a couple reasons for this. One is somehow it's gotten out. This myth has just kind of permeated the church that emotions are somehow less than holy, Like, the more holy you are, the less emotions you have. I do not know where that comes from. I mean, like, have you ever read the Psalms? You got David, a man after God's own heart, and what's he doing throughout the entire book of Psalms? He is sharing his emotions with God and the reader to an extreme degree sometimes in the Psalms. But when we believe this, nobody really opens up in Sunday school or in group, people don't get real because they got to play like they're holy, but really it can be very holy to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice and to share some emotion. I, I think I've seen this additionally, the reason for this being, I think we've taught some of this to young men and this weird view of masculinity, like, Somehow, masculinity equals no emotions. Again, I have no clue where it's coming from. It's insanity. It's ridiculous. Like, you know, the guys who wrote the Bible were pretty masculine dudes and they were constantly crying. Constantly. There is a book of your Bible literally called Lamentations. You know what you do in the book of Lamentations? You lament. That was, I think, written by Jeremiah. And if you read the story of Jeremiah, you'll see, that's a strong dude. And so it's really ironic that we've even taken that as far as to kind of do that, especially with Christians when it comes to death, like, because we believe in eternal life and in resurrection, which we totally do, it's like, you can't be sad at death, you can't. Show emotion at death. You have to say the platitudes, right? You've got to say he's in a better place. He's, we're going to see him again. And that is all true. But it's gotten to a point where I think you have Christians who can't even cry without feeling like they have to give a caveat. Like they're at a funeral. They're grieving. But they have to at least say, like, but just so you guys know, I still believe in eternal life. Like I'm still on team Jesus. It's like we know. Right? You don't need the platitudes. Jesus wept. No platitudes here. In this moment, he doesn't look at the weeping Mary and the weeping Jews and say, stop, because all things work together for good. He is God. He's about to work all things together for good, and he still weeps. And so what Jesus demonstrates for us here is that you can simultaneously believe that God works all things together for good and weep. Those two things are not always necessarily Opposites. Jesus knows all things works together for good, and he weeps at the same time. Well, why? Why would you weep if you don't have to weep? He's about to raise Lazarus from the dead anyway, but instead of just doing it right away, he accepts all this emotion that is around him. Why? Well, let me give you a few reasons. One, emotions are not bad. They're not necessarily bad necessarily dangerous or undesirable right it's part of being a man a woman a human being two emotions are a way for us to communicate love to others when we sympathize and empathize with others as they grieve we love our neighbor as ourself. jesus is the great high priest who can sympathize with our needs and he's doing it here with mary He does it here for the weeping Jews who've come to give condolences. And what he does when he weeps with them and when he weeps with us as our great high priest, our sensitive and sympathetic great high priest, is he communicates to us and to them that they're very important. When we avoid emotion, it communicates to others that they and their emotions are no big deal. A third thing I would say, he's making disciples. He is teaching people. That to avoid emotions will do more harm than good. I think you need to know this, that avoiding emotions, you still got to deal with them later, and it typically gets harder the more you wait. Not every time, but many times. Okay, so I was listening to a podcast this one night when I was running late to dinner, and I'm listening to this psychologist in Portland talking about how he deals with these young people with these extreme emotional episodes But, you know, they're not schizophrenic. They're not struggling with bipolar disorder. They're just having a lot of difficult emotional breakdowns, 20s, young young 30-somethings. And there's a lot of reasons why, and he gives some of the reasons why. But one of the reasons why, not all of it, but one of the reasons why is that some of these kids he's working with in their 20s, early 30s, they have come from, believe it or not, really affluent and wealthy families who gave them this incredible runway for life. And so what he deduces is, and this is not a Christian guy, he deduces essentially that, you know, they were the kind of kids who, when they got bad grades, the parents went and yelled at the teacher, right? Some of you educators, you know these parents? Yeah, Andrew almost broke his neck, shaking his head yes right there. (laughs) Yep, fist bump from Lloyd, I saw that hand, right? You got bad grades? I'm going into the principal. We're getting this lady fired. We're going to get you the right SAT scores no matter how much it costs right? You're getting on the team or you're not going to try out. Or if you do try out and you don't make it, we're not telling anybody. There's no forcing of the emotional difficulties that come with adolescence. And thus, the first time they feel on their own these difficult emotions, they're in their 20s and it just bombards them. They're like, what is this? Sadness? How do you get rid of that? And so they try to get rid of it through a lot of different means and medications and they can't. And they have breakdowns because they've lived this life of avoidance (laughs) and now they have to deal with them much later in a much more powerful way much more intense way with these emotions and they're having breakdowns here's the idea is that avoidance is easier in the moment but it actually doesn't always help it doesn't make the feelings go away it kind of kicks them down the road and sometimes even makes them bigger because if more emotional events are coming right So if you save them from their emotional events in middle school, well, guess what? College is coming, and then career is coming, and marriage and family are coming. I mean, what's coming for Mary and Martha? Here, their brother dies, but it won't be but a few chapters until their savior dies. Additionally, because Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead, get this, this is not the only time they have to deal with brother Lazarus' death. They're going to have to do all that again, because this is life in a broken and fallen world. The story goes, we don't know exactly because it's not in the Bible, but church history tells us that Lazarus was under great persecution through the early church, so he moved to Cyprus. He was the bishop of Cyprus. He uh, was a great preacher He died. They buried him. He died by persecution. They buried him. There's a huge chapel over where his body supposedly is today in Cyprus. But eventually, the point is, he did die again. So Mary and Martha are going to be right there mourning his death again. So it's a good thing for their sakes that Jesus taught them how to accept this broken life rather than avoid it. Finally, I would say Jesus here is simply making a point about death. It is to be mourned in some sense, in some sense, even when it's the death of a believer. Why does Jesus weep with Mary and the Jews? It's because Jesus relates to death with emotional health. And here's some truth, some truth, it's not the whole truth, but some of the truth is this, death is sad. The Bible says he takes no delight even in the death of the wicked. Precious in his sight is the death of his saints. The scripture tells us he knows when one sparrow, one leaf falls to the ground, he grieves when one of us similarly falls to the ground. Death is sad. It was never supposed to happen. It is part of the curse of sin and sin is sad. Parents were never meant to bury children. Children were never meant to bury parents. Friends were never meant to say goodbye for a final time. Jesus hates death. So much so that he came to die so that we would not have to feel the full weight of death. On the cross, Jesus dies the death we were meant to die so that though we still die, our death would have no, the grave would have no sting the Bible says, no victory. He takes all of our sin on himself and he's buried with it so that we could be buried without our sin, cloaked in his righteousness. And then Jesus ensures that our death will lead to resurrection by rising again on the third day for our justification. So now, here's the truth. Death now is not eternally sad. It is not ultimately sad, and that is good news. But death is temporarily sad. And it's okay to know that. We rejoice because death has no more sting and no more victory because of the resurrection of Jesus. However, on this side of heaven, until he wipes away all tears from our eyes, we do mourn, we do weep over Death, as it's a reminder of the curse of sin, which we hate. It invokes a sadness, one we must not avoid, but just accept. Because avoiding it won't make it go away. But in accepting it, we can submit it to the truths of the gospel, to where we can see the full picture. It is temporarily sad, but by God's grace, it's not eternally sad. We have to expect, we have to accept, and I'll give you this as we close it up, we have to express our emotions. Look at verse 35 and 36. Last two verses. 35 through 37, rather, it says this. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Fascinating. Fascinating. Here's my question for you, Jesus wept. Are you willing to follow Jesus? We know Jesus stood for the truth against his enemies. Jesus stood for the truth in public. Jesus faced his death with bravery. Jesus did all, you know, he was zealous for good works. And I've met many, many who are like, yes, I will follow Jesus and I will stand against the enemies of God, I will stand for truth. Will you also follow Jesus if that means weeping in public? Because he also did that. I feel like I've seen a lot of guys, maybe even teachers, preachers, I feel like I've seen a lot who will stand for truth publicly because they're following Jesus, but they don't want to weep publicly and follow Jesus. It's because when we follow Jesus in John 11, the Jesus who wept, and we express our emotions, we become vulnerable. It says, see how they loved him. See how he loved him, Lazarus. When we express our emotions, people can see what's inside of us. We don't like that, do we? We want to curate the image people see. And typically, as we curate the image people see, controlling what they see on the outside, we don't come to a picture for them that we've been made out of dust. We paint a picture that makes it look like we've been made out of metal. But that's not true. You are but dust. You are weak, And you can accept that that's good news because through your weakness, the strength of Christ shines, or you can lie and tell everybody you're metal. What's funny is the people you're trying to impress, they're not made of metal either. They are dust. And a lot of times if you let down the curtain and say, actually, I'm dust, they'll let down the curtain too, and then you can actually have a relationship. But a lot of times you got to take the first step. you got to express emotions, but we don't want to express, do we? Because then we're vulnerable and people don't get to just see the curated image on the outside. They get to see what's actually inside, who we love, what makes us upset, what makes us happy, what makes us who we are. And we're known. And the reason we don't like to be known is because once someone knows what's really inside of us, we cannot control what they do with that information they could let down the curtain and share their information with us that happens here every wednesday night at groups but it is true that when you're vulnerable they could also take that information and use it against you and they could question you like hey maybe this guy who opens the eyes of the blind could have saved this dude from death what's going on with that you see this a lot in paul who we talked about earlier he was very vulnerable with people like the Corinthians. He said, I came to you in fear and in trembling and in much weakness. I proclaimed the gospel to you. And he was super open about how much it hurt to be persecuted and imprisoned and, and beaten. He was very open emotionally. He expressed himself. And here's the truth is that there were some false teachers who came into the church at Corinth with basically the prosperity gospel and said, we have fine clothing and we have never been imprisoned or persecuted it must be that god is blessing our ministry and he's not blessing paul's ministry because if he was blessing paul's ministry why would paul be in jail and hurting and sad and broken and tired and anxious Could you imagine the pain of paul hearing that someone out there saying you're not being faithful because you're anxious and bleeding and broken and sad and hurting Doubting his faithfulness because he expressed his true emotion when those guys, those false teachers, they're not expressing anything and will probably soon be found out. I mean, to this day, do you ever hear of those false teachers from Corinth making an impact? No, but all over the world, every day, people read 1 and 2 Corinthians where Paul expresses himself and it's from first and second corinthians that we have so much good gospel truth like first corinthians 15 which says Christ died for our sins according to the scripture he was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures We have that truth because Paul had to write to the Corinthians to defend his apostleship after people used his expression of emotion to doubt him and attack him while he made himself vulnerable. And that is one possibility when you express emotion, but you have got to learn to trust God with that because here's what I see over and over in the scriptures is that when someone is willing to express their emotions, the truth and open up and be seen and be known, God uses their story to express the good news like he did with Paul and like he's doing right here with Jesus, they're saying, couldn't this guy have healed him? Is he really able to heal? Is he the guy who opened the eyes of the blind? What's going on with this guy? Is he a fraud? Is he a fake? They're using his openness almost against him. He's expressing his emotion. It is costing him, but he is trusting the Father. And the Father is going to use his expression of emotion, Jesus wept, to teach all of us in the next few verses, to teach them in the next few verses, yes, Jesus can indeed heal the blind and raise the dead. He will use Jesus to express good news. If we express our emotions many, many times, if we're doing it honestly for the glory of God, the good of other people, being open and being known and being loved... Some may use it against us, but we trust God. Because if we express emotion, I believe he uses it to express good news. So many people have been saved, not from a sermon, but because someone shared how hard their testimony was, how bad life was, how Jesus came through, how they were weak, but he was strong. And that's really when I see most people be touched by the Holy Spirit. Someone expresses emotion... God uses it to express good news. Even though some may think, some may say, what's wrong with you? Are you not metal like the rest of us? Say, no, I'm but dust. You willing to be dust for Jesus? Here's a question, are you willing to follow Jesus even if that means weeping in public? Are you willing to follow Jesus into emotional health today? By starting with just expecting and accepting and expressing, let's express some emotion now by worshiping Him as we sing. Express by raising your hands if that's how you feel led, you don't have to. Only do it if Jesus asks you. You express by staying seated in prayer or kneeling in prayer at this altar, which is really just a couple of steps to a stage, but we call it an altar. It's a great place to humble yourself and just kneel. Feel free to kneel and show some emotion. Feel free to express. I'll pray, and Andrew will come lead us in a few more songs. Jesus, I pray that we'd be a church of emotional health, people who encourage emotional health, people who are real and expressive rather than hiding. Lord, we are but dust, but you love us, and you've saved us so that one day we will be like you and with you. Until then, death is a very real part of us, and that is sad, and we admit it. But we are so glad that you have defeated death, eternally and ultimately, so we also at the same time believe that you work all things together for good. In Jesus' name, amen.